So, on Facebook, if you follow our Facebook page, I had a poll. And I asked the question, how many would like to have a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit? And the two options were, yeah, go for it. I'm on board. The other one was, nah, I'm all right. So an overwhelming majority of you voted, yeah, I would really like to have a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I didn't make any promises because I said I ultimately go by what the Holy Spirit is leading me to do. So luckily, the Holy Spirit was in agreement with you guys. So we are going to do a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I think this is an excellent way to begin 2019 as individuals and as a church. Now, John Wooden has been quoted as saying, Be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Because your character is who you really are. While your reputation is merely what others think of you. He was also quoted as saying, the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one else is watching. We can proclaim to be Christians, believers, and followers of Jesus Christ all we want. I can stand in a, I can stand in a garage, but it doesn't make me a car. So I can call myself a Christian or a believer or a follower, but the actions... Speak louder than words. My actions have to you know, line up with my words and vice versa, correct? So when we get into the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit deals with our character. Now, the foundation, of course, is the written and living Word of God. So the foundation is the Scripture and Jesus Christ. And we know that that foundation is solid. And that's the rock that we build upon, and that's the rock that Jesus was referring to in the parable of the you know, wise man and foolish man. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And all of a sudden, I want to sing that children's song. <laughs> uh, but that's the foundation. So when you build upon a foundation, the next thing is you have to set up a framework. And then after you set up the framework, you hang the house. You put up the walls and the pipes and the electrical work, etc. So the framework is very important. So I would like to liken the framework uh, on the foundation to our character. It's great we have a foundation, but if you build with faulty or shoddy material, it doesn't matter how strong a foundation you have. If the material is, is subpar or half grade, or it's rotten, or there's, it, it's defective in any way, shape, or form, the house will eventually rot, crumble, it will not stand. So it's very important to uh, develop our character according to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a big movement out there about changing your attitude. And, you know, that's all well and good, and there's a place for that. But you got to change more than your attitude. There's that saying, you got to fake it till you make it. You know, that works in, in a pinch and in short-term situations. But that doesn't work when you're going for the long haul. Because, you know, you can have a good attitude, but if your heart is not in line with that good attitude, then it doesn't matter. Eventually, it's going to peter out, and, and, you, and your real character is going to show. Just as it says, you know, who you are and what you do behind closed doors is who you really are. And your character and your reputation are two totally different things. So, in... The letter, the epistle to the Galatians, Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, was talking about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, 
verses 22 and 23. So I'll give you a chance to to turn there. That's going to be our focus text for the next few weeks. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And I think there's a children's song that kind of goes along the line of the fruit of the Spirit, but I don't actually know it, and I'll spare you of even trying to sing something like that. But it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against any of these things. So that's what the fruit fruit of the Spirit is. So each week we're going to take a look at each fruit, what it means, we're going to define it, see what it means, and how we can apply that fruit to our heart, life, and mind. Now if you'll notice, it's very interesting. A lot of people, you know, they're mistaken. They'll say the fruits of the Spirit. Just like they'll say revelations. Well, there's no S in revelations. It's a revelation. The revelation of Paul, whatever. So it's the same thing with the fruit. It's kind of a little pet peeve of mine. I know it's a little bit nitpicky, but it's not fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And I believe that the Apostle Paul was trying to draw the analogy from a pomegranate. A pomegranate has, has deep and heavy symbolism within the Middle Eastern culture and within the Jewish community, which the Apostle Paul obviously came from. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is singular. It's, it's not plural. It's not fruits. And a lot of times growing up when in Sunday school class, when they were teaching the fruit of the Spirit, they would have a tree with an apple and a pear and an orange and a pineapple, and each one represented a different fruit of the Spirit. But actually, the fruit of the Spirit is, is all one thing. And it it goes back to that principle of the Hebrew, the word echad, because there is a plural version of the word one. I know that blows our Western mind, right? To us, singular is singular and plural is plural. How can singular be plural? Well, you have the Hebrew word yichad, which means singular, just singular by itself. Then you have echad, which means uh, one in plurality or one in unity. And this is the description that we have of God himself. He is one. Yes, he is one and only. But we, we also know that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three uh, different personalities and one divine essence, right? So they're still one, but they're one in agreement, one in plurality. Now, I don't know if you've ever eaten or had a chance to look at a pomegranate. But if you break open a pomegranate, it's got these like little tiny clusters inside. And there's hundreds of them. So it's one pomegranate, but many tiny little clusters, juicy, delicious clusters inside that pomegranate. And that's what Paul the Apostle was trying to bring out to the Galatians in regards to the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit, it's, it's one fruit. It's singular. It's one fruit. But inside that fruit are many little juicy tidbits. And each one of them represents a different aspect of this fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because it, 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 you, got, you can't have one without the other. You know, it's either kind of an all-or-nothing prospect. Now, in the Hebrew, the word fruit in the Greek is karpos. And it could, be, it could mean literal. You could be talking about a literal pomegranate or a literal apple or a literal orange. But fruit is also used figuratively. And we're very familiar with that in the English language. We, 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 we do that all the time. 
You know, like we know that if I say it's raining cats and dogs, we, you know that I'm speaking figuratively. But there is really a such thing as rain. You know, it can rain various different things from the sky. But you know when I'm speaking literally and figuratively. So the Apostle Paul is, is, is obviously using the word fruit in a figurative sense in Galatians 5.22. So now fruit, what does the fruit mean in a figurative sense? Figuratively, fruit comes from what is born or what is the final product of something else. Now, we even use fruit in a figurative sense among the human race. Sometimes we've heard it said that our children are the fruit of our loins, right? They are, they are the product of ourselves. So that's what fruit is. It's, it's, uh, it's what is born or what is the final product of something. So, like, and it's obvious. The, the, the laws of nature are pretty, pretty obvious. If you have an apple seed and plant it, you won't get an orange tree later, right? So it's pretty standard, pretty obvious. You know, what you plant is what you're going to receive. So we've got to, uh, that's why we're going to focus on each different aspect of the fruit of the Spirit and try to draw out as much information as we can and how to apply that to our modern day life. Uh, so I'm going to read a few passages very quickly from uh, Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 15, I believe. So this is just the introduction. We're not going to get into uh, the different uh, aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. We're just going to kind of give you a good intro, and then next week we're going to get right into the fruit of the Spirit of love. So in Matthew chapter 7, uh, beginning, with verse, uh, beginning with verse 15, this is what Yeshua said. So these are Jesus' red letters right here. It says, Be on guard against false prophets, who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. You know, it's easy. You see a tree. Well, what kind of tree is that? Well, hang on. Let me see. Oh, there's choke cherries on that. That's a choke cherry tree. Oh, well, what kind of tree is that? Oh, well, that, that's a crab apple tree. You know, you know a tree by its fruit. So he's likening this to uh, false prophets. So you will recognize them by their fruit. Aren't grapes, are, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Figs from thistles? Like I said, you plant an apple seed, you're going to get an apple tree. You're not going to get an orange tree. Kind of obvious. In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. So we've got to take care of the tree in order that it produce good fruit. Because a tree, just like anything else, can become diseased. And I remember growing up in the house that I was at growing up in Ohio... I could go outside and create my own fruit salad. Right out the front door was a pear tree. Right in the backyard was apple trees, and right on the side of our property was walnut trees. So I could make like a, a Wardorf or a Waldorf salad, right? But a couple years later, the pear tree died because it wasn't in good soil, it wasn't pruned, it wasn't trimmed, it wasn't taken care of, and it produced bad fruit and it was corrupted and it died. So you've got to take care of the tree in order to get good fruit from it. So in the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not uh, produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If you can't eat it, then what good is it for? 
Why is it wasting ground? Why is it? And there was even a parable of, of you know, uh, somebody, uh, of a rich man who had a tree. And he says, ah, oh, this, this tree is just a waste of space. You know, why am I bothering with it? I'm going to, you know, he told the servant to cut it down. He says, no, 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 wait, my Lord. Just, just give me a year. Let me fertilize it. Let me water it. Let me try to nurse it back to health. And if it doesn't work, then you can cut it down. Right? So uh, the good, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you will recognize them by their fruit. Now, also flipping back to Matthew chapter 3 and starting with verse 7. This is John the Baptist. This is Jesus' cousin. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 says, When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the baptism, he said to them, I, I, I love this. I just love the way he puts this because I just kind of imagine, you know, John the Baptist in his camel hair and his leather belt, long wild hair and a beard. He, he had to be very dramatic, right? You know? You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. Produce fruit consistent with repentance. Now, if I come up to you and kick you in the shin and say that I'm sorry, does that mean that I'm repentant? Well, how do you know if I'm truly repentant after I kicked you in the shins? If I don't do it again, if I don't come up to you again and kick you in the shins, but you know what? I could say, oh, gee, I'm sorry. <clears throat> kick you in the shins. A couple minutes later, come back. <clears throat> so was that sorry worth anything? It didn't. No, sorry is not the same as repentance because the fruit of repentance is, is, the, is the proper actions following that. So if I kick you in the shins and say, oh my goodness, I, I'm sorry. You know, and then I don't do it again, and next time I'm around you, I'm extra careful to, you know, not to hit you or what. That would show that I'm, you know, that I'm really, really sorry. And I remember teaching repentance to my daughter when she was in kindergarten. You know how little kids play. They were in kindergarten class, and they were pretending they were animals. You know, and my, my uh, Ariana, she was pretending to be a dog, and she was like, ah! You know, and just biting with her teeth. And this little girl kept putting her finger out. So my daughter bit her finger. And of course, she screamed and cried. And the teacher came. And my daughter got reprimanded and got in trouble. And when we went to pick her up from kindergarten, the teacher told us the whole deal. So when we got home, you know, I kind of talked over the situation with Ariana. And I said, well, did you tell her you're sorry? And she said, yes. I said, well, are you really sorry? She goes, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry. I said, well, you know, it's one thing to say you're sorry. I said, but how can you show this little girl that you're really sorry? So she kind of thought about it. She's like, well, maybe I can draw her a picture or write her a card. I said, that's a wonderful idea. That's great. Is there anything else we can do? Mm, maybe we can put a Band-Aid in, in the card. Yeah, that's wonderful. You know, you want her to feel better and stuff. Yeah. Is there anything else? Well, I know that I feel better when I get candy. Maybe we can put a piece of gum in the card, too. I said, Ariana, that's great. That's what we'll do. We'll give it to the little girl. And I said, you know what? I said, Ariana, because we're believers in Jesus Christ, we're held to a higher standard than the world. We can't just say, our, say we're sorry and it'd be fine. We've got to prove by our actions that we're sorry, that we're truly repentant. So that's what John the Baptist was, was talking about here and uh, talking about this fruit. 
Uh, therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children after Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the tree. And what did we just read in the other passage? If it's not producing fruit or it's producing bad fruit, what's going to happen? It's going to be cut down. It's no, it's, it serves no purpose, purpose but for firewood. For camp wood, for kindling. That's the only thing that it's good for. The axe is already laid to uh, the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And for the last passage in Matthew that we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 12. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, and starting at verse 33. And these are Jesus' words, therefore they're red letters in many of your Bibles. So Yeshua said in Matthew 12, 33, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For every tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you were evil? So how can you produce good fruit if you're evil? Again, we're talking about our character, who we are at our core, who we are on our insides. We can, we can put on a good show on the outside. Politicians and car salesmen do it all the time. Right? So it's, it's not the attitude or the good show on the outside. It's what we are on the inside because what's on the inside eventually is going to come out. And this is what Jesus says. He says, Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you're evil? For the mouth speaks the overflow of the heart. I heard a story about two gentlemen uh, who were elderly, uh, got dementia, was put in the nursing home, and they came from two different walks of life. You had one who, who worked out in the woods. You know, he, was, he, he cursed like a sailor. You know, he lived the rough and drunken, tumble lifestyle. And then you had this other elderly guy who, who was a preacher. And he preached the word of God all the time. So when they both had dementia and kind of lost their mind and they didn't know who they were or what they were, who they were on the inside eventually came out. This guy who worked in the woods that didn't live a Christian life, he was his walker and blankety, blank, blank, cursity, curse, curse, you know, cuss, cuss, cuss going down the hallway, just cussing up a storm like a sailor. And then the preacher would just be quoting the word of God all day long. Guess what? Their brain had gone on autopilot. So who they were and what they did all their lives eventually came out when they were no longer in control of their faculties. That is another proof that character is who you are when no one else is around. Because once you lose your capacity to control your mind or to know anything, what's truly in your heart is going to eventually come out. And that's what Jesus was saying here. A good person produces good things from the storeroom of good. An evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to take an account for every careless word they say. For by your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. A lot of people who commit murder... Some guy who gets mad, kills his kids and kills, kills his wife and comes off as he's the innocent victim and tries to act like it was somebody else who did it. Guess how they usually catch the guy? It's their verbiage. When they're being interviewed, it's what they say. 
You know, if they believe that they're, you know, let's say their story is, oh, my wife and children were kidnapped in the middle of the night, and I don't know where they are. And then, then, then the interview say, yeah, you know, my, my wife was a really good woman. Oh, really? Was? Why did you say was? I thought you said she was kidnapped. She's supposedly still alive, and you said was. That's past tense. He knows he killed her. And so that truth eventually comes out. They call it a Freudian slip. That's what, you know, the... the uh, psychological term is. So that is, is, is fruit, right? Now we move on to the word spirit, and the word spirit is pneuma in the Greek. It's where we get the word pneumonia, because the Greek word for spirit also means breath. And the accompanying word in Hebrew is ruach. The word for Holy Spirit, and I, sometimes you may, may hear me say this, Holy Spirit is ruach hakodesh which is the holy breath or the holy wind. And so the Greek matches up with the Hebrew. So the word spirit is pneuma, which means breath or spirit. And in Genesis 2, 7, it says, God breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of man, and man became a living soul, right? So what is the fruit of the spirit and what does it mean? So as we kind of alluded to earlier, it's what comes as a result of you submitting to the Spirit of God. When you submit to the Spirit of God fully, that's when that, the, that fruit of the Spirit will begin to mature and ripen and develop within you. So the fruit of the Spirit is what is born or birthed in you as a result of fully surrendering to the Holy Spirit and God. Did you know you can be a Christian and be a Christian all your life and not be totally surrendered to God? Maybe you have little pet sins or little things in your psyche or in your soul, little rooms in your heart that you've left closed and open to no one. And it's a little secret dark corner that you're even afraid to open up to the Lord with. But yet, it's not like you can hide it from God. He knows it anyway. We're to be totally surrendered to God, body, soul, and spirit. And it's a work in progress. That's part of what it means by working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because, you know, it takes time. It's not an overnight thing. There's still things that I'm discovering in my heart and my life that maybe I haven't totally surrendered. Maybe I thought I did. I fooled myself into thinking I did, and I didn't. And I'm still working on things. Every one of us are. So it, it's like a baby. A baby is born in an instant, but it takes time for it to learn how to roll over, lift its head, roll over, eventually sit up, then crawl, then stand, then walk, then run. It's you know a two, three-year process. It doesn't happen overnight. Equally. Being born again, we are born again in an instant, but it takes time to develop and to ripen the kind of fruit Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is speaking about. So once again, I want to emphasize that, that Jesus, Yeshua, the living word, is our rock and our foundation, which our house is built upon. So then character, or we can also say the fruit of the spirit, is the frame of upon which the house is built. So the Lord has kind of kind of told me and you know I've kind of had some odd dreams about the church. And you know I still believe that God can speak to 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 people in dreams. And I dreamt that there was a big hole right in the middle of the church. And I could see right down into the basement. And there was crates and paint cans and tarps and stuff ready to remodel. And it was amazing because the basement, the foundation it was, it was pristine. It was just smooth as glass. It even had like a glossy finish. You know how sometimes you put that clear coating over concrete? And it was interesting because when Aaron 
preached last Sunday and we were praying in the back. You know, he said, Lord, he says, you know, I, I'm just so glad that, that you called Chris to pastor this church and, and allowed him to be here and, and, and that this church has a solid foundation. And it just reminded me of that dream, blew me away. And I said, brother, you don't realize what you just prayed. You know, so the Lord was saying the foundation is good. But what happens when you have a hole in the floor? You got to remodel. Right. So that's what we are as a church body. We're in the process of remodeling. And have you ever remodeled a part of your home? It's so exciting. You're going through, uh, you're going through catalogs and you're, you're comparing uh, uh, you know, the hardwood and different, different grains and colors of wood. You're going through paint swashes, swaths and, 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 and fabrics and stuff. And you know, oh, we're, we're going to knock this wall out and we're going to put this cabinet here and we're going to lay this floor. And it's exciciting. And I just pray and hope that you guys are just ex excited as I am about what God is going to do with us in 2019 in rebuilding this, this community and rebuilding this church, remodeling this church, right? It's very exciting. But once you get into the remodeling, remodeling process, it's not too fun because you come home from work and you just want a place to sit and relax, right? And just let go of the day. But instead, there's drywall, there's dust, there's tarp, there's paint. There's tools laying around, you know, you, you can't find stuff because half your stuff is packed away. And, you know, so there's going to be this little odd transitional period where things aren't going to be so fun or comfortable. But bear with us, stick us out, because you know what? The finished product, when it's all done, you just you, you invite all your friends over. Hey, come and look. We just remodeled our kitchen, you know, come. In. And so we're going to get to that point where we're going to be excited because we're, we're going to spiritually speaking, our church is going to be remodeled from the inside out. We've got a firm foundation. The foundation is already there. We don't have to worry about that. There's no pouring concrete. The word, Jesus Christ is our foundation. But guess what? We've got to replace some beams. We've got to uh, replace some supporting uh, uh, columns in the church. And that's what, that's what, that's character. That's our character. That's the fruit of the spirit. And once we start developing that character and developing that fruit of the spirit and allowing it to ripen, you're going to start to see dramatic changes, and it's just going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. So I'm going to have a challenge at the end of each Fruit of the Spirit series sermon. And this challenge is, and it should be pretty easy. I know that Ron is a good memorizer. I've heard him quote scripture before. So your challenge is to memorize, in whatever version you want, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Because every week, that's how we're going to start our message, because we're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit and going through each different fruit uh, of the Spirit and just fleshing it out and, and, and learning what it means and how we can apply it to our lives. So, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Are you guys excited? Yeah. Oh, I heard a woo. Can I get, can uh, I, I, I know you guys, I know we're Baptists and we're traditionally low key, but are you guys excited? Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are such a good God. You are such a good father. You're so patient. You're so loving. Wait a second. I'm quoting Galatians 5, 22 and 23. All the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, you are. And we, and Paul in other letters and writings says we are to be imitators of God. 
So help us to imitate you and the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, to allow it to change our soul, our heart, our mind, our character, so that when we go out these doors, which is our mission field, which is our Jerusalem, that as we interact with people in the village and beyond, that people will know that there's something different about us, that we're not like everybody else. We're not like the other people who claim to be Christians and and, and their actions doesn't match their words. But Lord, help us not only to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. And it's a process. It's a growth. It's a ripening. So many of us already have a a good start on the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, continue to help us to ripen that fruit and to to come into full fruition that it's juicy and fragrant and, and ripe and ready for the picking. Lord, because we want to be uh, what you want us and have us to be. So help us to continue to develop this fruit of the Spirit. And as we go on this journey through your word for the next several weeks, God, I pray that you would just touch and challenge and prepare our heart and our life and our mind. Lord, that our, our heart would be, would be a, a dark, loamy soil that's ready to receive the seed of the word. And it's ready to learn about the different fruit of the Spirit and how we can apply it to our heart and our life and our mind. We love you and we praise you and we ask all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.